about the party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up. Bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Hey everybody, it is AEW Unrestricted. Aubrey Edwards and Will Washington here again another week to bring you awesome stories from behind the scenes at AEW. Really, really fun stuff. Uh, it's funny because we always record these not on the road. Yeah. I am sitting in my living room. You are sitting in your uh, wonderful wrestling and video game cave, whatever it is that you call it's, that. It's, it's my basement. Like, that, that's the your thing. Is that, yeah, okay. everybody always wonders, like, where this is. And I'm like, you can see stairs there. It, it is my it is my basement. Yeah, but, like, do you live on three floors? Like, is that floor underground? Like, there's a lot of specifics for basements. But, like, I've got my fake plants. So, like, clearly my living room. <laughs> yeah, this, this is my basement. Those of you who have followed me... Just a couple months longer than my time in AEW might know that this place has flooded uh, one too many times in just the last year. Damn. Oh, yeah. I've had some some bad floods down here. It's funny. The arcade sitting where it is right now was the product of water flowing from. So there's a my furnace room is like right behind it. And so the uh, water started flowing and it was about to hit the arcade. And so I moved the arcade. And then one day I looked at my shot and I was like, oh, that looks cool. I'm just going to keep it there. <laughs> and so that's why it sits there now because it used to be flush against the wall. So, yeah. Uh, and if you're that's listening. That's like quintessential on, on, wrestling. It's like, oh, this just happened out of accident. We're going to keep it going because it works. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, if you're listening on uh, audio, you have no idea what we're talking about here. Which is why you should watch the video episodes every Monday. You should. You should and see all of our beautiful faces and the beautiful faces of our guests. So, yeah, it's kind of weird because like we always do this <laughs> totally break kayfabe. Like we're traveling home on a Thursday, but these podcasts come out on Thursday. So I mm-hmm. wake up and immediately start posting tweets of like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, the podcast is out because I'm exhausted. But like now you've been at AEW for a couple of months. Like what does your not at work schedule look like? Like how do you break down your day? That would imply, Aubrey, that there is a not at work schedule because... not at the venue. Right, because I was going to say not at the (laughs) venue, right? Because like I, there's always something AEW to be doing every single day, right? And so um, when I'm not at the venues... I'm usually working on things like this podcast or actually there was something creative wise that uh, involved things I had written or worked on, but I wasn't physically present for. And but it was like all being done. And so I had to be like on the phone and available and like answering questions, things along those lines. And I'm usually I'm talking with talent. Um, People are texting and pitching ideas and I have conversations with Tony And then, you know, on Saturdays, I am working on a lot of statistical stuff for AEW. I pull a lot of the win-loss records, a lot of the stuff you see in the lower thirds for Ring of Honor and uh, Collision is usually, I I have a a really solid hand in that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the weird thing was I was traveling for that for the first few weeks and months of Collision. And then I realized it's probably better for me to be home doing that because I'm less distracted. I'm less likely to be pulled into a conversation here or a conversation there. And so I get to do all of that remotely and then get that submitted. And so Saturdays, I I find myself like busier on a Saturday than I do on Wednesdays, which is kind of crazy in a sense. It's funny because I remember like, I think it was last Saturday, you actually texted me and said, hey, do you know if Paul's there, like who are the refs for Ring of Honor that day? And I send you a picture of like the rundown of the card and I was not even there. Yeah. So it's a matter of like, we're both able to work and neither of us are at the venue because this is just sort of the thing that you do. Like it's a job, but it's a job that happens when it happens, whether or not you're there. Yes. A lot of times like Mondays are extremely busy for office people at AEW because that is where the bulk of my meetings happen because consistently people don't travel on Mondays. There's a lot more people traveling on Fridays now. Like the collision crew is flying out then. So like my Fridays tend to be pretty free, but like my Mondays, I've got a heels team meeting. I've got multiple AEW games meetings, whether they're internal or with external partners we're working with to develop products. I've got a meeting uh, that we're on with Warner. I've got random podcasts we're recording. I'll be recording at 7 a.m. because we have people in Florida who are up three hours before me. (laughs) And it's like, this is just your day, right? And at the same time, you have to find time to get into the gym. You have to find time to spend with your family. You have other personal things you're trying to do. I'm trying to cook all the time and just like bring my giant cooler with me on the road. So there's just a lot to handle. 
it's cool because I like hearing what how like your day goes when you're not at the venue because it kind of helps you appreciate what everyone does for this company and like how everyone is in, involved even if they're not physically there. Yeah, and honestly, the cool part about it is that on show days on Wednesdays, that feels like kind of that reunion moment of like, hey, we've been working together, but we've all been apart for the last week. Oh, cool. We get, yeah, and then now Wednesdays, we all get to come together and, and talk and hug. And like, this is actually, I won't say the relief because there's a lot of work to do on Wednesdays too, but it is just like, it still feels cool. And so I, I, I either way, I'm still in love with my job. I'm still at a point Good. where I'm- Shoe I'm, hasn't dropped yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I still, every time I, I look up, and we've had this conversation, but every day that I think I'm having a bad day, I look up and I go, this is the coolest job in the world. What am I? What, oh, 100%. What could I possibly have to complain about? Yeah, it's a job. Yeah, it's stressful. But I yell at half-naked men who play fight in their underwear, and that's pretty dope. Not going to lie. And I get to come up with ideas for them. And I'm like- For those half-naked is- men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's really cool. So, What are we doing? This is great. Speaking of what are we doing, uh, Will, who is our guest today? The voice of Saturdays here in AEW, the voice of AEW Collision. He is the one and only Kevin Kelly. Kevin, thanks for being with us. It is so good to be with you guys. Hi, Aubrey. Hi, Will. Yes, it's so good to be here with you. I was glad I got invited. Because this is where all the cool people come and hang out. I want to be cool at least for a couple of minutes. <laughs> uh, we've paid off all of the people to say that. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who received cash <laughs> in the back Money alley. well spent. <laughs> I'm super excited to have you here because it's been such an incredible summer with Collision starting. There was always that question of, well, who's going to be the voice of Collision? And I think all of us sort of figuring out how things were going to work, like which referees are going to be on Collision, which wrestlers are going to be on Collision. But of course, the question is, whose voice is the one that we are listening to? And I feel like it is now impossible to think about Collision without thinking about Kevin Kelly and Nigel McGuinness. Well, that's good to know. Thank you. Yes, it's a, uh, and I know that it's a a topsy-turvy world for everybody when you're working, you know, one, two nights a week. And then all of a sudden now they've absolutely doubled your workload mm-hmm. and with the addition of pay-per-views now. So everybody's getting a lot busier uh, and there is a lot of work to go around. But yes, it's exciting to be part of such an energetic team and coming in. You know, you guys have been through all the ups and downs over the, the four years, you know, from the empty arena shows, the dailies placed and and everything. To, to come in now at this point, it's almost like a new chapter of AEW is beginning. That What Tony said, the new era is upon us. Collision is a part of that. And I have a feeling there's probably more things to come as well. So, yeah, it's it's just exciting to be part of this crew now because you guys have a lot of talent all up and down the roster on, you know, behind the camera, in front of the camera. Every spot, it's just like completely loaded and, and it's an embarrassment of riches to be yes. to be here to work with you guys. It's like, <laughs> I know that guy. He, I worked with him 20 years ago. Oh, I know her. She used to be on this and I know them. It's like crazy. What a crew, man. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I always love about AEW and having followed your career pretty much as long as I have. I mean, gosh, going all the way back 20 something years in being the voice on on Sunday Night Heat and things along those lines. But like thinking about how AEW is such a, a cornucopia of wrestling history that you have so many guys who who have history in ECW and WWE, WCW, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then for you to come into AEW essentially four years into the company's run, it's not like you're a stranger to really anybody who's on this roster Um, i mean obviously there's a couple of those new faces but you've been able to call a lot of what these guys have done over the years um so what was that like coming into aew at this stage of the company's run it's been fun and exciting and thrilling and very stressful all at once because my whole thing is i can't assume that anybody knows anybody Mm -hmm. so i have to tell everybody's story like they're seeing and hearing them from the first time I've called hundreds of Jay White and Juice Robinson matches, but I cannot assume that the AEW audience knows them any more than what they've seen since they have been with the company. I have to fill in those blanks. And I have followed Powerhouse Hobbs' career since before AEW, but I had never called his matches until I got here. 
So I have to tell his story like somebody brand new through the eyes of an announcer that is brand new calling his match. I can't be too familiar. And I also can't be too naive because I have to also serve the existing audience that's been through the journey through these four years. And is just making the jump to adding another night of the week with us on, on Saturdays on Collision. I do a lot of thinking about who am I talking to? What's my audience? A lot of times what I wind up breaking it down to, Aubrey, is it's an audience of one. I just have to talk to one friend, one person, and that one person is who I'm talking to. Absolutely correct. So Will and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday, just over text, about how things really feel like they matter when there are stakes. And I feel like that is a good testament to an announcer who's excellent at what they do. When you're watching a match, you may not be familiar with someone, but you understand what the stakes are because someone is making it extremely clear what has happened up to this point, but also how this match impacts everything that's going to happen to kind of get people invested and keep them interested in what is happening so that they maintain their viewership and hopefully become long-term fans. Right. I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like, is there anything else you're sort of thinking about as you're announcing independent of your sort of communicating for this audience of one? And doing it all very quickly. Yes. <laughs> because I have not done television in 20 years. I did Ring of Honor television, but that was live to tape. So it wasn't live TV. New Japan Pro Wrestling, every event that I called is televised, but it's not television. It's sports-like coverage of a wrestling event. The camera turns on when the show begins and it shuts off when the show ends. There are no commercial breaks. There are no stop downs. So getting used to that flow with New Japan, like I have three hours to tell a story. Sometimes during the main event, something will happen in that main event that reminds me of something that happened in the very first match. Remember, folks, when I told you this? Well, here it is. And it took us three hours to get here. I don't have that time in AEW. That's been the biggest adjustment for me. Everything is happening so fast and the moment's gone. And then it's like I think of it later, but it's too late. I'm trying to do it all in super condensed bites. And I want to talk to you about how the, the team has really come together. So, of course, you're getting a call with, with Nigel McGuinness. And, of course, you've had a relationship with Nigel McGuinness for a very long time going back to Ring of Honor. Talk to me about how that relationship came to be and then getting to kind of get back together as far as uh, Collision is concerned. Well, when Ring of Honor started TV, it was who is going to do the show with Kevin? We had a name, Adam Pierce. A lot of people know everybody out everybody that's seen him uh and it just didn't work out with the hierarchy and and it worked out better for him so okay now who's it going to be and all of a sudden Nigel mcginnis's name popped up he popped up available perfect former ring of honor world champion has he done television before well he's spoken on television before he's never done commentary <laughs> we can make all the work i said i said what about his accent is that going to be a problem no it's not gonna be a problem i said then Let's go. And as soon as I stood in the ring, Frontier Field House, Chicago, Ridge, Illinois, ladies and gentlemen, my color commentary partner is a former Ring of Honor world champion. And everybody went, oh. And I said, from London, England. And then they went, <laughs> they blew. Here he is, Nigel McGinnis. The place went crazy. Nigel comes out and sits down, put the headset on. We called, I don't know, four hours of TV the first night. And it was great. And he's gotten just better since then. All of his time, all of his experience doing television over the last few years. He's a consummate pro. He knows who he is. He's uh, become a master and is teaching me things and is guiding me through a lot of this because he has a lot more recent television experience than I do. I think that's one of the great things about seeing teams come together so well is there's not only the like you two are both such good individually. Nigel has his thing, you have your thing, but together you're this completely different unit that is made better by each other. That's one of the things that I enjoy as a long-term fan is watching a commentary crew kind of understand each other's flow and quirks and knowing it's even how like Will and I have just been hosting this podcast. Like I've started to get kind of like how he works with things and just kind of feel his vibe. Sure. And it's really really awesome to see and I think that we are just so 
grateful that you guys are just coming in with this pre-existing relationship so you can just hit the ground running. And I feel like we're going to get to that like awesome point of like, man, these two are just like inseparable and amazing. Uh, the Excalibur and Taz, if you will, <laughs> of collision. Right. Because those two guys are just incredible together. And it's it's awesome. It's so fun. Yeah. It's great. So I'm I'm curious because a lot of your recent experience, and you touch on this a little bit, was your work with New Japan. Obviously, we've touched on the difference between television with commercials, actual, like how we do it. But I'm more curious about sort of the style of wrestling because the style of Japanese wrestling is very different than the style of American wrestling. And we see a little bit of on of it on our show, but we still have to adapt to American audiences. Is there any sort of thing that you've done as a commentator to change how you describe what is happening given the two different promotions and the two different styles? Or do you find it's more similar? I actually... I think it's more similar than people might think. I find the flow and the speed of the action very similar. It's not as if Japanese wrestling or New Japan in particular is built around super heavyweights who move slowly across a 20 by 20 ring. No, these are mostly smaller guys who move incredibly fast across a 20 by 20 ring. And it's the same dimensions with AEW. So if looking at it from a physics standpoint, speed and visualization is all the same. Where there is a difference, of course, is there's a little more silence in between the notes, if you will. And, and that is where some of that storytelling can come from. AEW matches, like television matches, are get up and go, get up and go. Everybody's on offense. They think offense first because it's television. Sometimes when you get into a scenario where a title is at stake, you'll have a longer match because there is more defense involved. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to take my time so I don't make a big mistake. Japanese wrestling has that as the card moves along, you notice the undercard matches. It's a lot of offense, fast, six to 10 minutes. And then once we get into the upper middle half to the main event, it's 10 to 20 minutes. Sometimes the main event could 20 to 25 because of defense versus all offense. We want to make a show out of it. We want to give the people their money's worth right away. That's the biggest difference. So a lot of AEW matches are go, 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 go. And then you'll get the one main event where Brian Danielson and Christian Cage will be 20 to 25 minutes because of what is at stake. And they pride themselves on that defense as well. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. And uh, I want to get into a little bit more on the New Japan side. And I think we could talk about that on the other side of the break right here when AEW Unrestricted continues. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. AEW Unrestricted, we're back. It's Will Washington, it's Aubrey Edwards. We're with our guest, Kevin Kelly. Kevin you announced recently that you will be leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling following Wrestle Kingdom 18. Yes. Uh, I want to start with the why. Uh, what made you come to that decision officially? Because my wife said, I don't want to be alone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying. No, no, I mean, it's, it's, I'm laughing because it's true, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like in wrestling, we're just mm. trying to constantly not get divorced. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> how do we keep yeah. our partner happy? Look, I know on the road having to like take those phone calls because I know that, look, if I don't give my wife just five minutes of my time, yeah. it's going to be yep. quite a show when I get home. So that fully understand that. We've been together 33 years and married 30. So I told her, when the time is right, you tell me and I will stop going to Japan because I've been gone like weeks at a time, months at a time, come home briefly, go right back for weeks at a time. And of course, we've all missed birthdays and family occasions and those types of things. But, you know, when you're missing Christmas and you're missing New Year's and you're missing 
anniversaries and you're missing everything. It just gets to be too much. So when this AEW opportunity came around and the first conversation that Tony and I had was about still keeping up my New Japan commitments. And he said, yeah, that's fine. We'll we'll have uh, Ian or somebody fill in for you. It'll be great. No problem. He and I figured it would probably be like 12 dates a year, 12 show weeks a year I would miss. And I talked to Dory about it and she was like, I don't want to be alone anymore. And I was like, okay, say no more. That's it. I talked with New Japan. I talked with Tony Brancery and said, here's what I can do. I've got these two that I, I definitely have to do for New Japan. But then after that, I'm just going to be here in the States, you know, here in North America within a couple of hours flight, be gone away from home as much as AEW needs me. But I'll always be that close. I'll always be a couple of, I'll never be more than half a day away. You know, for a lot of fans who really discovered New Japan in the last 10 years, which is kind of a, a, a really big renaissance period for American wrestling fans discovering New Japan Pro Wrestling. For a lot of those fans, you've been the voice for them. What attracted you to New Japan and that style of professional wrestling and deciding to become that voice for people? It was always the mystique of New Japan. Japanese wrestling was that thing that I would read about in the magazines when I was a kid. Names I would occasionally see when they would come over to the United States to wrestle. Names then on WCW that I watched like when I was in college in the early 90s. And just the, the whole feel of it. And then seeing how the guys were going over and getting to know them because we developed a partnership with New Japan when we were in Ring of Honor. Me, Rocky, we all got together and we came up with this plan and this is what we did. And we wanted to introduce New Japan to the U.S. fans that would also help Ring of Honor draw a house. So telling those stories and beginning to realize that there are generational talents that fans have never really seen on an ongoing basis. When you have Hiroshi Tanahashi, who Don Callis said is like the Von Erics and the Beatles rolled into one. I was like, that's a perfect description. And you have Kazuchiko Okada, who's a once-in-a-lifetime athlete, and on and on. And stars like AJ Styles, who had gone over and made a name for their, themselves. But at the same time, there were guys like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, who were doing different things over there than fans in the U.S. had seen from them. We needed to tell those stories. And I also got, I got excited because of New Japan World. When President Kidani started New Japan World, he did it as sort of a shot across the bow at Vince and WWE. He wanted that to be the same price as the network. 999 yen a month, ha ha ha. But he didn't know what he was going to do for content. But the biggest thing was, how do we get English commentary on this? And Yuji Katano is a, a name that not many people know but was one of the most instrumental people in getting English commentary on New Japan World. Now, that's what it's for, almost. Uh, you know, the Japanese coverage is there as well. But they, of course, have television, and the television coverage for the English audiences is very scattered and slight, if at all. So it was critical to do this, and I kind of saw it like pioneering a territory, but at the same time, because AEW wasn't in existence yet, I was like, this is the last wrestling company. There's, the, you know, there's no more after this. We've got to go and we've got to make this happen because we have to save, we have to save the industry. There has to be something else besides WWE. Luckily, we were able to get New Japan to become much more familiar and household uh, than it had been over the previous, you know, what, 40 years that they were in existence. It's funny. There's no one else. And then now look, here we are all on a podcast <laughs> right. talking about our employer. <laughs> but that's a great thing, right? Like we talked about how AEW's existence is, is again, just the formation and the, the compilation of so many things from wrestling history to come together to make what AEW is. And, and Kevin Kelly being here, I think, is a, a perfect example of how that train has moved over the last four years. Without Omega and Jericho. There might not have been an AEW without the Young Bucks and Kenny, without the Elite and their rise, without Cody going over there, without all of these names kind of coming together at that certain point in their career, there might not have been an AEW. Nope. When the Young Bucks were in Ring of Honor, they had a lucrative offer to, to join another company. I implored the business manager in Ring of Honor 
to do all they can to sign the young bucks. Overpay if we have to, because they're worth it. And because they were willing to overpay, we got two years out of the bucks. In that two years, Ring of Honor made more money than they ever had in any other time in their history. And it was the bridge between Matt and Nick getting that first big offer to then realizing that they have this opportunity to start AEW. There were a lot of little moving pieces that all added up. I think a lot of the background of what happened with AEW not only took place, you know, in Reseda, California, but also took place in Tokyo, Japan and in a where were we? We were in York Hall in London when we had the sit down with numbers with Matt and Nick and where the where the hands were shaken and the deal was constructed. And I was like, oh, my God, good. We've got the Young Bucks here for two more years. Wow. It just all worked out. Look, talking about that period, honestly, I, I have to talk about a very famous match you got the call. And it was for the IWGP heavyweight title, oh. a match that a lot of people consider one of, if not the greatest match of all time. It's Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, 65 minutes. Talk about calling that match. You know, you, you talk about the, the sciences, per se, of calling a, a television match. And in this case, you get to do the complete opposite of that. You get to call a, a 65-minute classic that you really got to take your time with and that the, the talent got to, to tell an incredible story with. Um, what are some of your memories in calling that match? I do remember how how the dropkick of Okada changed the pattern of the match dramatically. If not twice, then it was three different times. As an announcer, and regardless of the sport that you call, I just happened to call wrestling. You look for those trends, and I then tee it up for Don, who was so emotionally invested with Kenny, that then the next time that a dropkick is thrown by Okada. Don angrily screams out, oh, God, a goddamn dropkick. You know, I can still <laughs> hear it in my head because that's the story that we were able to tell in that time as we're watching it. And I'm going to him with that because I want his reaction as an analyst. But then he retains it. And when he sees the next one, I don't have to say anything. He just goes. Because every time Okada hit it, it changed the changed the dynamic of the match. Those were the moments that can't be planned for, duplicated. You can't prepare nothing. It just has to happen in the spur of the moment. You have to be in tune with the product, in tune with who you're working with. Feel that beat, feel that rhythm. There's music to every wrestling match. And sometimes it's harder to feel that rhythm of a match as it's going along. But once you get it, once you get the timing of the match, then everything just your storytelling flows and your mental direction flows because you could see where these guys are going because you are on rhythm. You are on beat with them. It's magic when that happens. Magic. Absolute magic. And I mean, that match was magical for all of us watching it. It sounds like it was magical for you consuming it and commentating. Is there any other magical moments that really stick out in your mind? Just with, with Jay White winning the IWGP heavyweight title from Hiroshi Tanahashi, it was the complete opposite of the Rainmaker shock that had happened in the same building seven years before. Everybody expected Jay White to win. Nobody wanted to say it because Jay White is one of those talents that comes around once a lifetime. You look at who we've got now in our universe. When you look at, say, at MJF and you look at, and I'll throw a Kyle Fletcher in this week because had a big, huge two weeks. Uh, and that match with Kenny was, was something else. Mm-hmm. Fans are going to be talking about Kyle Fletcher in 20 years. And I've said this since he was 18 years old. He's 24 now. When it's all said and done, we're just going to roll all the money out to Kyle Fletcher's house. We've got Will Ospreay, and we've got Jay White. Mm -hmm. Plus, we see Okada occasionally. Plus, we have Brian Danielson, and we have Adam Copeland and Christian Cage and Darby Allin, and on and on and on. These are athletes unlike any other, but yet we have them all in our universe now. There are more great athletes in pro wrestling in 2023 than there has ever been. 
both mental and physical training have elongated careers. Uh, yes, it's a wilder style. Yes, it's crazy. No, the human body is not built to do that. But yes, between the athletes themselves and the way they train and the medical staff that works on them, medical science has improved and athletes are able to fight and go longer now. It's just science. Anyway, when we look at what Jay White did with Tanahashi, winning in not an upset, but winning clean in the middle, stopping Tanahashi cold, catching him out of the air from a high fly float, stopping him in his tracks, throat slash, blade runner, one, two, three. I, I find myself at times just going, folks, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> Jay White is going to win it all. Gun to my head, full gear main event, November 18th, MJF versus Jay White. Jay White's going to win. Why? Because just about every time Jay White says, I'm winning this, he wins. And he does so, and he doesn't cheat to win. He never has outside interference to win the match. He'll win, usually, finisher. And that's it. Throat slash, Blade Runner, one, two, three for a championship. Come on. There's nobody better. He's the best closer in business. So that's one that definitely sticks out. Getting to call FTR at the Dome was special because I knew what that match meant to them. I knew what me calling their match meant to them. And I knew what they meant to me because of what my reverence for tag team wrestling and what they represent. There's so many standout moments. I love all the Young Lion matches. I love the kids coming up with the shaved heads looking like a plucked chicken. And then five, <laughs> six years later, they're back from excursion and they're world champs, man. It's crazy. I love and it. They've got actual gear. They're not just wearing black trunks. They're yeah. like, oh, you've yeah. got, you're a person. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. They're so cute. Those little boys. They're adorable. But yeah, so that's, it's, it's just, it's a blast. It's all fun. It sounds a little bit like you're going to miss it. I know that this is, as we're approaching the end, as Wrestle Kingdom is just around the corner. I, I see that fondness that you have for it, and I, I can just tell that this is going to be a great fond time in your career to look back on. We're going to have more with Kevin Kelly right here on AEW Unrestricted. It's Unrestricted. It's Aubrey. It's Will. It's Kevin. We're having a good old time talking about just the magic of pro wrestling and what you know, someone's voice can do to help build these moments and make them memories for all of us. And it's just been a wonderful conversation so far. And I feel like we've barely scratched the surface because you have done so much in wrestling and you have such this illustrious career. And I feel like, oh, no, there's there's just like years still. Like we're, we're not even like anywhere near the end. I'm so, so excited. So we've talked about New Japan. We talk about New Japan and ROH sort of coming together. We're going to kind of keep going backwards a little bit. How did you get involved with Ring of Honor initially? It was, you know, when when the time was right, I wanted to get back into the into the wrestling business. Again, they were the closest promotion to me in, in Pennsylvania. So it just kind of worked out. And talking with Kerry Convenient. Silken, God bless Kerry, uh, was hanging on for dear life, was like, I don't have any money. I can't pay you. I said, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I want to help you. And so that's where I'm you know, really got to be close with uh, Paul Turner and Bobby Cruz and so many people that I know and love from from Ring of Honor that are a part of my life now on an every week basis. So I couldn't be more thrilled. And then, of course, it, you know, television was coming around, which was part of the reason why uh, they wanted me in the mix. Then Kerry wasn't the owner anymore. This is specifically HDNet television, right? Well, HDNet this is had- HDNet. This is post HDNet because they had their own guy Mm -hmm. and HDNet said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to stick with our own guy. And and everybody was like, okay, that's fine. So I'll just stick with doing these DVDs for Carrie and we'll see what happens. And in the meantime, I just kind of enjoyed having my toe back in the wrestling business a little bit before long. They're getting sold to Sinclair and we're doing a weekly television show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, I could do this. This is fun. And it all just kind of worked in because when I left WWE, I pivoted and I began a sales career, which actually helped me a lot in wrestling because in sales, whether it's on the phone or face to face or whatever, whether you're selling a, a tangible product or a service, it always has to be about that communication and that bond with your audience. So whether I'm mass communicating, 
whether I'm talking to an audience of one, my sales experience helped me in being a storyteller for wrestling when I got back into it. But I was able to, I stayed in sales from 2003 until 2017. Whoa. Yeah. I was doing that all the time where I was with Ring of Honor, you know, had different jobs within the industry. Sold radio airtime, which was a blast. Uh, then we moved and I sold because my wife wanted to be closer to sort of her ancestral home here in central Pennsylvania. Eventually got into the computer industry and was selling software, hardware, et cetera. And then got into the distribution channel, which was a lot of fun because that was like an internal audience, but then there were external clients. You always had to adjust. Who am I talking to now? And you have one minute I'm having a very technical conversation. The next minute, I'm having a very simplified conversation motivated by emotion. You have to be good. I can't just talk about the nuances of an arm bar, but I've got to be thinking who my audience is and what they're going to listen to and what they're going to like. Fuck. (laughs) It's a lot of psychology going on here. I know it it sounds silly. It sounds ludicrous, but... I'm telling you it works. No, it makes total sense. Yeah, no, it does. Absolutely. It 100% makes sense because wrestling is all psychology, not just for the guys in the ring, but literally the referees, the commentators, everybody. Exactly. I've just never seen it like succinctly put that way. You really are selling a product in a way that people can connect to. Yes. Yeah, honestly, the salesmanship thing like really brought it together for me. Though. That was excellent. I, when I changed, because I, I was out of work for a year. Because all I really had on my resume post WWE was was wrestling. I had a college degree, but it was in communications. I had done a lot of stuff in wrestling, and then I was I pivoted my resume and rewrote it instead of focusing on the wrestling side or the television side. Let's focus on the sales side of what I did. So instead of calling matches on pay per view, I sold pay per view. I sold merchandise. I sold live event tickets. I sold. I sold. I sold. I sold. I sold. And oh, by the way, there happened to be, and I was also able to put numbers on that we had some of the biggest houses, that we had incredible growth in consumer products, that we had incredible growth in pay-per-view. We had incredible growth in all aspects of the business that I was a part of. So it looked good on a resume when I could quote actual numbers if they wanted to have that conversation. The first job I got was with a guy who was a wrestling fan and was kind of like, yeah, I would love to have you work with me. That would be awesome. I could ask you questions about Iron Mike Sharp. So it's like whatever they wanted, but I wouldn't have had a career in sales if I didn't know how to sell. And that's what wrestling is. We're all in the sales business. We're all customer service. You know, if somebody's not happy with their seat or somebody kicked their drink over, it's up to all of us to make sure that that customer experience is peak. Because if we don't, then we're missing out. And a fan is going to leave a building and never come back. Even though it's not in our job description, we didn't do all we can. Fans first and a servant heart will get us through every challenge that we might have, regardless of economy or talent comings and goings. It doesn't matter. If we put the fans first and we have a servant heart, then we'll always win. Damn. That's (laughs) so good. Those are bars. I wanted to go a little bit back now, since you brought it up. Your time in WWE was during a transformational period for them as a company. Um, You started with them in 96, uh, am I correct? Correct. And of course, you mentioned you were with them till 2003. And that um, is a period people know as being very transformative for not just them, but professional wrestling as a whole. Mm -hmm. Wanted to ask you a little bit about your time in that period and your growth in that period. How did you end up in WWE? What was your tryout like at that point? It was because of Billy Gunn. So daddy asked... I must say, got me my job in WWE. I'm contractually obligated to tell all of you, yes, that Billy Gunn, a.k.a. Daddy Ass, got me my job in WWE. No, we knew each other from Florida because uh, we were both in the IWF together, and we stayed friends after that sort of went by the wayside. He and they were the long riders in Florida, but then he and his partner became the Smoky Guns. Basically the same team, same look, just with a different name. So I said, hey... You guys are coming down for a run of house shows, some live events in Florida. Let me know if they're looking for a local ring announcer. I could do the Orlando event. I could do the Tampa event. If they're looking, either way, just let me know. And I might stop by and say hello. At the same time, I had a a tryout with WCW where I was the warm-up guy. I was warming up the crowd 
between shows and during matches in their MGM tapings. So the syndicated programs where the crowds were like rabid, people are cheering and booing, like that was because somebody like me was telling them to make some noise and boo. And, you know, they're just, I'm on TV. I'm from Germany. What is this? Oh, boo. They don't. But anyway, in between shows, I get a message on my pager. That's how long ago this was. And it's Billy Gunn. So I go to the pay phone again. How long ago this one? Yes, Billy, what's up? Expecting him to say, hey, yes or no about these Florida house shows. Hey, you need to call Bruce Pritchard right away. Huh? Oh, yeah. He, I went and asked him about that whole uh, ring announcing thing. And he's like, hey, I've been looking for him for a couple of years. Have him call me. What? Okay. I just have to say, by the way, just thinking about how much this story like ages everything yeah. because thinking about how like quickly could have just like found somebody on social media, right? But like in this time period, that's like not doable, right? I've been looking nope. for him for a couple of years is like a statement you could only make back then. That couldn't happen today. I had <laughs> handwritten my phone number on the tape uh-huh. and mailed the tape in. But see that I moved and I didn't keep the same phone number. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> Uh, so I call the 800 number. I get Bruce on the phone because I wouldn't have had that many quarters to call Stanford, Connecticut from Orlando, Florida. That's a lot of quarters, Aubrey. Oh, right. Long distance. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I get Bruce on the phone and we talk. He says, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm at this WCW tryout. Oh, you haven't signed a contract, have you? Didn't want to do tampering. No, they haven't offered one. Oh, how are the shows? Kind of the shits. Is Hogan there? God, no. <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, we'd love to have you up for a tryout. <laughs> and that was kind of it. Um, and I went up on June the 6th, and I started uh, June 24th. Wow. The significance of that day, June 24th, 1996, is the day before, June 23rd, 1996, Steve Austin wins the King of the Ring and utters the famous words, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass, which from both a blasphemous and a cursing standpoint was very rare, even for pay-per-view. but it set the tone for the Attitude Era. So I was there through all of it. I take credit for all of the Attitude Era. Thank you, and you're welcome. I was going to say, I have heard that you take credit for the entirety of the Attitude Era. All of it. Because, I again, when I'm there, it was all Attitude Era. And then when I left, that's when they stopped doing it and started doing uh, Ruthless Aggression. Yeah. So, of course, I was there for the Attitude Era. And then when that was done, it was time to go home. What is the common denominator here? Oh, it is Kevin yeah. Kelly. Okay, this is this is our bookend. Exactly, and Billy Gunn. Yes, and Billy Gunn. <laughs> Thank you, Daddy Ass, yes. <laughs> and he will remind you until the end of time that the reason you got that job was him. Oh, brother. <laughs> I actually was not, I didn't watch uh, wrestling back in the day. I started watching wrestling in 2011. So a lot of the Attitude Era for me is other people telling stories about what they had watched in the Attitude Era. And I actually had no idea until I was reading the notes. I was like, oh my God, Kevin Kelly was in WWE for this long? This is insane. So I already had an incredible amount of respect for you for all your work in Ring of Honor and New Japan. And I'm just like, man, this guy is even cooler than I thought he was. (laughs) It's just being like Forrest Gump, though, really seriously, Aubrey. It's just, (laughs) I'm just old and I stuck around and I was just in the right place at the right time. That's that's wrestling in general. I was going to say that so many people's wrestling stories, though, is that just right place, right time, and you can end up making history. Yeah, But most people who watch this show know that I'm in a creative role in AEW. Recently, I've been re-watching a lot of stuff that I grew up with or was a fan of at one point because, you know, watching it from this perspective now, trying to watch some of the things that, uh, trying to understand what went into it creatively and it, it helps me move forward. So that said, I've been recently re-watching a lot of late 1999, uh, which of course led into the marriage of Triple H and Stephanie, which uh, according to my notes here, you had a creative involvement in. And I'm curious what, uh, I I, I want to hear that specific story. I feel like just from, not just from a wanting to know creative perspective, but like, honestly, just as a fan, I want to know. It Okay. So yes, it is true. I did have a a hand in that. Again, it was a, more of just like, a, you know, if you had an idea and you wanted to submit something to Vince and whoever he was working with at the time, you could just through email. There was no big process. And it was talking with Doria, talking with my wife, because we're both soap opera fans. And there was something about that story that that caught her attention. And she was like, you know, it'd be funny if 
Triple H found a way to screw over Vince by being the one to marry Stephanie instead of Tess, because that's like a soap opera trope. That is the tried and true. The girl loves the bad boy, but daddy's little girl is not going to marry this bad boy. And the bad boy is going to do all he can to try to make sure that daddy's little girl is with him. And at the same time, shoot the middle finger at daddy for trying to keep him away. That's really all it was. But I wrote it like, okay, let's imagine. I came up with this scenario to where Stephanie, who had just like a week or two before on television, she had like gotten conked over the head with something. Yeah, it was the amnesia. It was Br- British Bulldog threw the uh, the trash can at her, and she exactly. So which, we were again, <laughs> pro wrestling is the funniest thing on earth. It's a trope, right? <laughs> and everybody knows that once you get a concussion, once you have amnesia, then you're susceptible to it again with just the slightest knock on the head. So we're working <laughs> off of a lot of assumptions. Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a ba- some backstage kerfuffle. And somebody bunks into Stephanie and she can't remember who she is now. Well, they're attending to her. Matches are going on. We're waiting for a medical update. Kevin's standing outside. No word yet from the medical team in terms of Stephanie McMahon. We're hoping to get an update before the end of the show right now. Back to you. Then JR and the King would be at ringside calling the main event. JR is like, wait, what? What do you mean there's a wedding going on? And all of a sudden, the camera, you know, split screen, one, two, three in the ring, camera frantically running down the hall. And it's the Flintstones, the little church. The door kicks open, right? And you see the backs of the bride and the groom. And Stephanie turns and you can see that she's sort of half out of it and says, you've made me the happiest woman in the world. As the minister is saying, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And you see the long hair and you turn and you assume it's test and it's not. It's Triple H. And Triple H says, you have no idea how happy you've made me. That was what I pitched. Honestly, hearing it that way and knowing like there's because there's a lot of the way it actually played out that like couldn't be told today. Right. There's no, various elements pretty- where you're like, wait, she was drugged. Oh, my God. This is like, yeah, awful. right. <laughs> like, problematic. There's, yeah, there's so many problematic parts of that. That way you told it holds up better today, I think, <laughs> than, than the way it actually executed. And then to finish it, we I, I wrote the end, like because eventually Stephanie needed to stand out on her own mm-hmm. and tell everybody, I'm not going to be pushed around anymore. I'm not daddy's little girl. And I'm certainly not going to be under your thumb and your control, Triple H. You're just using me to get back at my father. Test is in the wind by this point. You know, their relationship is irreparably broken. But she was going to say, screw you, screw you, screw all of you. I don't need any of you. I'm a a strong woman and I'm going to strike out on my own to where they could take it any number of directions. Anyway, so I write up this whole big, long treatment and I send it. Vince, Shane, Kevin Dunn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The first response I get back is from Vince. And it's five minutes later. And it's in all caps, one line. That's great shit. (laughs) (laughs) Two minutes later, Shane McMahon comes down the hall because we work together in Titan Tower and and we're on the second floor. And he opens my office door. Dude, that idea is crazy. I love it. That's awesome. And then he left because that was Shane. (laughs) And and he's running, doing handsprings down the hall or whatever he was doing. And then they said, oh, hey, we're going to do something with that idea that you pitched. And I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. And they did what they did with, it, mm-hmm. which is fine. I still was proud that it, you know, like this little idea that I had because of Dory and I and our love of soap operas became part of wrestling history. I didn't keep them together for everybody that says that their relationship <laughs> changed the wrestling business, not for the good, but for the worst. That wasn't my fault. I didn't write that. So Kevin Kelly, responsible for the attitude era, but choice parts. <laughs> Only the good stuff. That's, you know, it's crazy. Like when I get to see Adam Copeland and Christian Cage now together in the ring, you know, and I think back to their days when they both had really super long hair. Oh, yeah. You look at like Christian's locks and it's like, oh, my God, he really had like a luxurious mane of hair. And the hair care products alone, they must have spent a considerable amount of money on. Always very envious of that. But it's just fun to see how these guys have grown up, you know, guys and girls have grown up and, and how far their careers have gone far beyond the confines of the square. It's incredible because we're at this amazing time in wrestling where 
especially just on our show, Adam Copeland, Christian Cage, Brian Danielson, Soraya, all these people who we thought maybe wouldn't ever wrestle again and are now having some of the best matches of their careers and are doing incredible things on TV. And we, the three of us and the AEW fans all get to experience this. It's just such a fun time in wrestling. It is so much fun. And this was a fun, fun interview. Oh my God. One of my favorites. This is just, I'm just sitting here like, can we go like four more hours? And I'm like, oh no. Well, (laughs) I I just appreciate so much of your time today, Kevin. This was excellent. Thank you for coming and joining us. Oh, thank you. I want to get to know more of learning more of the AEW history because Mm -hmm. there is a lot, a lot of stuff and I'm trying to digest it all. Well, if you ever have the time, I am happy to just talk it all. I think Will could fill you in on quite a bit. (laughs) That's why this show is like important in one respect, because you're documenting a lot of those moments in time because of who your guests are and also the frame of reference and and your points of view and Aubrey, you being in the ring for so much of it. Will, you not just talking about it, but also playing a part in the orchestration of it. To have that and that knowledge base behind me and behind Nigel, too, and whenever we need it, we can go, hey, when did this happen? When has something like this happened before? And whether it's it's you guys or it's Excalibur or Alex Marvez, Tony Schiavone, there's always somebody who is there to give of them themselves and their time and to say, oh, yeah, this happened here approximately. And it was involving this person, this person and this person, you know, and then one memory sparks another. So it's just wonderful to be part of this journey with you guys now at this point. This is part of science. I love it. We're documenting for the future, for history and everything. And uh, I, I had so much fun today. I know Will did too. I'm speaking for both of us. This was just absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for being here today, Kevin. Thank you guys very much. We'll see you all in Memphis. Yeah, you can see Kevin, uh, listen to him, actually, on AEW Collision every Saturday on TNT. You can watch Dynamite Wednesdays on Wednesdays on TBS. You can watch Rampage on Fridays on TNT as well. We've got pay-per-views all over the place. Go to AEWTix.com. Go to a show. They're absolutely incredible. You see all of these magical moments. You can be a part of it. Listen to this podcast, new episodes every Thursday, all of your favorite podcast platforms, and videos on Mondays on our podcast channel. I'm Aubrey Edwards. It's my best friend, Will Washington. Thank you so much for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up, let me see you. Unrestricted.